Hi, Tim Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast. With me on the line today is David Tovey, consultant, coach, and author of the book Principled Selling. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Ian, and uh, good to be speaking with you this morning, and hi to all the listeners. Brilliant. David, um, talking about principled selling, that's the reason for, for the, um, the talk today. Um, you recently published it, um, and principled selling is an approach, or I guess a philosophy of selling, that's particularly appropriate for non-salespeople, so consultants and lawyers, accountants, engineers, the sort of people likely to be listening to this podcast, really. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about where the main concept of principled selling came from? Well, what's the background? Sure. Um, I, I guess I should start by saying that one, one of the kindest comments I had about the book was from Charles Green, you know, the guy of Trusted Advisor mm. fame. And he said, your book does a better job than any other book I've seen of linking together the sales and marketing perspectives from that core personal-based insight. Right. And I guess it's the personal-based insight that uh, having done it, worn the business development T-shirt as a sales and marketing director, from a technical discipline, as it happens, mm. and that formed the basis for, basis of what went on to uh, refining that to work with probably thinking about it thousands of lawyers, accountants, consultants, and engineers, both in the u k and internationally mm. uh, them to win work, uh, secure existing relationships and develop new opportunities with existing clients. So it kind of arose from your personal experience of having to sell yourself, despite not being a kind of salesperson naturally or, or by yeah, training. Yeah. And and of course, with Absolutely. all the people you worked with in that situation, what was it? What was it made you think? I need to write. You know, were there any particular experiences you had that made you think I need to write about this? This is a, you know, a way a way I found that works. Yeah. Well, about twelve. 12- Years or so ago, I, I started sharing what I'd learned from my uh, commercial business life with professionals um, and, and refined it to w- work with what I tend to call unnatural salespeople, mm. people who don't generally choose their profession with sales and marketing in mind as their career. Mm. But, but as we all know, uh, these days we're all in sales and, and, and everybody needs to win business. Started by contributing to uh, you know, various professional services articles, did a bit of a contribution to a couple of books, um, and started developing uh, a, a way that really seemed to work well with pro- professionals. Uh, so I went from a commercial approach into professional services, and what I learned in professional services was that actually professionals make really, really good business developers. Um, they be, they're very smart, get the the principles very quickly, uh, and actually are very good at building long-term relationships. Lots of salespeople in the commercial world think transactionally, mm-hmm. whereas professionals tend to think long-term. So really by working with professionals over the years, I was able to really understand how you build, I guess, what's now known as clients for life. So the um so what what are, what are the kind of what's the core of that let's say i'm a i'm a professional i'm an engineer oh we had a bit of a squeak there hang on <laughs> so i'm i'm a I'm, let's say i'm an engineer or a, or a consultant or a lawyer and like most engineers consultants or lawyers i feel quite uncomfortable 
in sales situations. Um, as you've just said, I, I probably may have some uh, in, inbuilt talent or, or because of my focus on the long term, but uh, but I don't really feel good or comfortable about it. I'm not, not necessarily got a, a polished technique or anything. Where do I start? What's the first thing I've got to get right when it comes to selling um, as a professional in a principled way? Well, I, I guess the first thing is to forget anything about having a polished technique. <laughs> um, because part of the principled uh, approach is about being yourself. You don't have to be a different personality. You can be the person that you are. But the first thing I guess to get right is is is, is what is selling and what it's not. The, the, the title for the book is Principle Selling, How to Win More Business Without Selling Your Soul. Now, that idea came from meeting a partner at a conference that I was doing out in uh, Phoenix a couple of years ago, fortunately. Uh, get to go to some nice places. And she told me she struggled with the whole idea of selling. She had to do it, but in order to be good at sales, you had to put ethics and integrity to one side. And that's where she said, you have to sell your soul when you want to win business. I know that that's not true, and anyone that's good at winning business knows that that's not true, but it is a perception. And if I think back to the foreword that Charlie Green put into my book, he said, the problem historically facing sales is the tendency to view selling as a method of controlling, browbeating, or otherwise inducing the buyer to do what the seller wants. Now, that's the stereotypical view, but it's also factually the way that in some uh, areas of sales, some people are perceived as behaving. Now, who wants to be that sort of person? Who wants to be known as or, or, or seen as or perceived as someone that's into controlling, browbeating or inducing the buyer to do what the seller wants? Mm. So, not surprisingly, lots of professional firms have dropped the S word from their vocabulary yeah, altogether, yeah. Because of the connotations that, that it has. But when, when I ask people for the definition, definition of selling, they quite often will use words like persuade or convince to, to explain what selling is about. But if you think about it, even if we use words like persuading or convincing, the energy is still coming from the seller. It's about, it's about selling doing something to somebody, which is often interpreted as, as, as pressure or being controlling. Mm. No professional that I know wants to be seen like that, and no client I know wants to be dealt with like that. Yeah. So the actual definition of selling is to exchange goods and services for money. There's nothing in the definition that says persuade, convince, and definitely nothing about manipulation. So at the heart of principle selling is an understanding of selling with the buyer in mind instead of what the seller wants to achieve. It's about motivating the client to buy from you rather than pushing the client to buy from you. And it's a mindset that makes all the difference to the approach. So whereas a stereotypical salesperson will fo focus on what they want, a sale, the principal seller focuses, focuses on what the client wants. Now, I don't know of any website that says we don't care about clients or we don't listen to clients, <laughs> um, but the reality is that some people go away and they go into sales mode 
and they start pushing and they start convincing and they try to persuade instead of really being on the client's agenda. The, the whole process, if you get it right, the process of winning business is natural. It's really comfortable and it can be enjoyable for the professional and the client. If it's enjoyable, you're more likely to do more of it. So um, it's an interesting concept about, about uh, you know, essentially f- focusing it on, on the client. What about if I was to play devil's advocate and say, well, look, what clients want is, is more from you for free. More stuff at a very, very low price. How do you counter that? I mean, that that clearly isn't the route to success in any in any business either. Do clients really not want that? What really clients want you to understand is what they value. Um, many of us approach winning business with what we value or what we think the client values. And therefore, a lot of assumptions are made about what a client wants. Um, I, I ask a question quite often when I'm working with an audience. Um, when you don't win work, what is the main reason? And wherever I've spoken in the world, I can promise you the main reason that I'm told that people don't win work is price. Mm. When I ask the same audience to think of their very best clients, you know, the ones that have been with them for a while, um, the ones that they enjoy working with, they get the right sort of work and the right sort of fees from. I ask them how they won that work. And you know, Ian, they become animated. They start telling you of the great chemistry that, that, that took place when they had a meeting with that client. They tell you about how they really, really understood what the client wanted. They understood the critical success factors and the motivations of the client. That when they did a presentation or a proposal, it was like poetry in motion. Yeah? It, mm. it all came together. The chemistry clicked. The, the, the client did negotiate. Uh, of course, uh, any business person is bound to negotiate. But people that have got great clients tell me that during that negotiation, out of it came a price that the, they were prepared to sell at and a price that the client was prepared to buy at. You know, they become animated. They tell me, they, they, they take a few minutes to tell me how they won clients, but it's always price when they didn't win it. Yeah, so price is, is uh, and often clients, I think, do say price. If you ask them, why why didn't we win? They'll often say price, but it's kind of a, a polite way of uh, of giving you a reason without having to say, well, we didn't like you and your proposal <laughs> didn't really well, match well, up with what we wanted. Absolutely. <laughs> and perhaps the person that did win was the person that really understood the client, that really went out of their way to make sure that the chemistry was right, that really went out of their way to put a proposal forward that matched exactly what the client wanted rather than what we assume the client wants. Perhaps they did take a little bit of extra time over the presentation. Perhaps they even asked the client what sort of presentation they would like rather than going in there with the standard pitch that that, that they always do. And by doing those extra things, by getting under the client's iceberg, um, by really uh, building a trusted relationship with the client, that person won and another person didn't. Mm. But as you say, the client's hardly going to turn around. In in fact, I was was at an event the other day when someone said, you know, the worst words that they hear, particularly from procurement people, is, you are a close second. (laughs) That is awful. (laughs) So, what we've got now is that um, the way to succeed, the way to sell in a principled manner is 
to take that client perspective. Um, let's talk about the, the actual process itself. So I think one aspect of selling that most non-sales people re really hit with a passion actually is uh, is what sales professionals would call prospecting. So that very first initial approach of connecting with potential sure. clients for the for the first time, and you know. You know, most of us, um, you know, we don't think of networking or, or, you know, God forbid, cold calling with any great relish. It's not something that we particularly want to do or, or love doing. So what's your advice for, for that very first area of selling? How how can we make that first connection in a way that's kind of principled and, and is something that professionals would feel comfortable doing? Okay, sure. Well, but perhaps the, the first thing I'd mention are, are the five principles that underpin principle selling, and that will put this in context. Right. One of them I've already talked about, and that is motivate, don't manipulate. So forget it, forget anything to do with selling or marketing as being getting your own way and learn how to motivate. Secondly, which I'll come to again in a, in a moment, about uh, prospecting, if you like, is investing in important relationships. Third thing is to be congruent through everything that you do, be authentic and be human, a couple of things that we've already touched on. So with that in mind, and you mentioned cold calling, I'm going to be really bold here and say, number one, never, ever make unsolicited cold calls or approaches. You won't like making them. Even full-time salespeople hate doing it. In fact, I was speaking to a consultant with a major city recruitment firm just this morning and even though uh, he is actually meeting his figures he's always being bullied by his bosses to do more cold calling and he, and he said David I hate it with a passion and I don't need to do it people people hate receiving cold calls just as much as you and I do they're an interruption and they add no value yeah so, there's, a, there's a degree to which <laughs> sorry we, we bounced again even if even if they did work well, you don't want to receive them. You ought not to be doing, <laughs> inflicting them on others. It's just not the right thing to do. Again, I've asked thousands of people in audiences to put up their hands if they enjoy receiving cold calls. And I mean unsolicited cold calls because we have to be careful about the interpretation of what a cold call is. This is an interruption to somebody's day. They weren't expecting to hear from you and it's all about being on the seller's agenda. Now, if we do away with cold calling, well, what do we replace it with? Connecting with potential clients has never been easier. You know, with the technology that we've got, even if we work from uh, our own homes, the tools to reach an audience, we, we have the same tools available as all the major brands do. So, so I guess the first thing to do is if we're not going to uh, make cold calls, which is a, a sort of a mass marketing technique, which people tell me does work. You know, if I make 100 calls, I'm bound to get through to somebody eventually. Well, um First of all, it's uncomfortable. Secondly, people don't like uh, to, to receive it. And the person that you get to may not be your ideal sort of client. They may not be the sort of client that's going to take your business where you want uh, to take it. So the first job is know the sort of client that you want. What does your dream client look like? And then put all your marketing efforts in, in a sort of laser-like approach to building your relationship with your target audience. Because of the technology, 
because of social media, the internet, email marketing, um, and, and, and content marketing, then we have uh, much better ways of, of, of doing that today than, than ever. So it's about engaging with the audience so that they're motivated to make an inquiry with you or, if relevant, motivating them to want to meet with you. Does that does that imply playing a longer term game, David? I think it's something you you said about the you know professionals looking for a long term approach. Uh, the, one of the things that might drive you down the cold calling route is that it seems shorter. I get a name, I phone them, you know, then, then we can be having a meeting shortly afterwards. Of course, it's never as simple as that. You get a name, you can't get through to them. You get your their PA, they put you off. <laughs> Six months later, you might eventually get through. But there's a, there's an implication of if it's about adding value to the market, um, you know, interacting with people on various different media. Uh, inevitably, because you're not going for the jugular on day one, mm-hmm. it feels like we're, we're talking about a long-term investment in building up uh, uh, relationships with, with your, 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 your dream clients, as you said, that will pay off in terms of the, the relationship warming up and them contacting you, etc. It's the same amount of time invested differently. If you invest your time in cold calling, it may give the perception of going for the jugular. But in reality, what it leads to is you having to persuade and convince someone to meet you. It ends up having meetings that, if we're not careful, become price-based and adversarial. And if we're not careful, risks ending up with the wrong wrong sort of client that's not going to be profitable anyway Mm. and and therefore not taking our business in the direction that um, whether we're consultants uh, you know accountants lawyers we depend on clients that buy from us and then rebuy from us Mm. those sort of relationships don't happen in one phone call or one meeting and that's one of the underpinning principles I guess of principle selling It's, it's about investing in important relationships now, today, that's called content marketing or inbound marketing. It's been around for a long time. 20 years ago, we probably called it one-to-one marketing or, or, or something different. But it's about investing in the marketplace where you want to build a trusted reputation. It's about investing in the audience where you want a reputation and investing in the individuals that you want to develop a relationship with. So is, is what you're seeing in terms of that first approach... Is that all kind of market-based in terms of you produce content, you're active on social media, or is there anything you would do kind of one-to-one with a really, you know, laser-focused approach on, let's say, the top five potential clients you really wanted to to, to work with? Would you do something special for them that made sure they noticed you? Absolutely. And this is where congruency comes to to, to play, is that you have to have, you just mentioned social media, you know, our, our, our websites, any other marketing materials has to be congruent with the approaches that we take um, when we make those direct approaches. And you say you've identified five dream clients. The great thing about content marketing, um, which is basically giving away stuff for free, which is sometimes a, a another mindset thing that professionals have to make. A client said to me a couple of days ago, the more I give away for free, the more I win work for a fee. 
So if we have a mindset of giving stuff away for free, we do it via our websites, we do it via social media, that material can then be used in a laser-like focus to actually communicate with specific target clients. So you mentioned you know, five dream clients. If I wanted to build a relationship with a specific CEO or a specific financial director, I would reuse the content that I've got, making sure that it's relevant, making sure that it's interesting and useful, and I would make sure I was communicating that to the specific individual I wanted to build a relationship with. It's completely different from cold calling them and saying, hi Ian, uh, I got a really, really good idea. Uh, can we please sit down and take an hour of your time? So you, so in that, that case, so you, there's almost two different... Uh, uh, it, it probably depends on your market, doesn't it? But there, if you deal with a kind of a broad almost a consumer type market and I don't mean you know consumers in terms of them buying sofas and, mm. and cars and things but if you're dealing with a, a lot of people and each individual client you know let's say you always have 50 clients on the go because they're, they're kind of you know coaching clients and if you mm-hmm. buy, buy you know on a retainer etc versus having one or two projects at any given time and only doing three in a year in the latter case in the former case you can kind of rely on going bro- people reaching not no you're not targeting individuals but you're targeting enough of the market that they're reaching to you but if you only ever do one or two things and there are only 10 people who could ever work with you you do have to focus on those individuals but you're saying in that in that case it might be that instead of just putting stuff on your website and hoping people would find it you you know who those individuals are in your market who could be your, your ideal clients you might um, print off a, a nice bound copy of, of three or four of your of your little mini reports or articles and actually send them to them and stuff like that uh, in sequence uh, uh, absolutely and uh, and don't don't fall in love with what can seem the latest magic bullet in marketing. Um, it's about doing a range of things that attracts the attention of the audience that you want to interact with. Um, you know, some people will say email marketing is dead and it's all about uh, high value content. Well, it, it it isn't. It's about email marketing and valuable mm. content. It's about um, having the, the the right ebook and having the the right website, so that in fact inbound marketing, if you if, if you get the if you get the sharing of content right for the marketplace that you're in, um, pick, the right people will beat a path to your door mm. because you've targeted your content either to a wider audience, who then become self-selecting, and they say, well that's 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 not me, but that is me. Therefore, I'll get in touch with Ian or get in touch with David. Mm-hmm. Um, or, as you say, if you specifically want some higher value clients over the long term, then you can use that same material to go for specific relationships with specific individuals. So it's it's a matter of choosing the right kind of channels um, or ways of connecting with potential clients that work for who you're going for, Absolutely. whether it's broad. Absolutely. Or whether it's kind of, it's kind of narrow, you have to have a think about what's going to get this great stuff I'm doing and help me build a relationship with the exact people that I that I'm looking for. Absolutely, and and, and one of the exercises that even some in inverted commas leading firms that I've worked with is they struggle to find out well who is that dream client, who is the audience. So if you do that exercise first of all, it actually starts to show you 
the sort of material you should be producing and the routes to get that material to the right client. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a cliche, think like clients. And the more you think like a client instead of thinking like a professional, the more you will realise what to share and how to share it with them. Yeah, I think that's a, lo- uh, it's a lovely um, story I tell every now and then that um, I first heard from a, a US copywriter, Gary Bensavenga. Um, he tells a story of a, a fisherman, American fisherman who was legendary, I think around the book on Long Island called Captain John Reid, and he was a kind of one of these, I think it was rod and line fishermen, used to, mm-hmm. um, and he used to go out in a tiny little boat and regularly catch you know, more than an entire boatload of five or six other fishermen with better equipment, etc., etc. And he used to come back with it, and time and time again, he'd unload these huge, um, I, f- I forget what they were, some kind of carp or whatever. Um, and uh, eventually he was interviewed, he was legendary in that area, eventually he was interviewed by a, by a newspaper, and they said, well, you know, how come you, you do so well? How come you, you catch so many fish? And uh, he kind of smiled and said, well, look, when, when these other men, fish, fishermen go out to sea, they think like fishermen. I think like a fish. Yeah. And it, and it's that sort of thing of re- and 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 in truth we we think we think like clients but we don't really very often we don't really put ourselves in their shoes. And 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 that's why actually it becomes a differentiator when you do because although lots of people talk about being client focused or client centric and I haven't yet found I think as I mentioned earlier a website that says we're not a client centric business. <laughs> client-centric firm, but the experience, you know, every, every piece of research that is uh, done client-side says that professionals still don't take long enough to understand where we're coming from. I think the FT did a big piece um, last year on um, being client-centric, and they're saying, no, no, really, really understand us, come, come from our point of view. When you're in our world and you understand our world, we know that you know law. We know that you know accountancy. We know you're brilliant engineers. That goes without saying. Now come and understand my world and how you can put your experience into my world and help me achieve what I want to achieve. Uh, and that's have, a mindset. Do you have any tips for doing that, David? Because I think one of the challenges I think a lot, of, a lot of individuals and firms face is I think many people know they ought to be doing that, yet at the same time, with clients being pushed for time, the pressure to kind of add value quicker is there as well so let's say you are meeting a client for the first time um, the, the days when you can kind of go in and have a, a casual conversation and just say well what what's keeping you up at night etc I think I kind Finding of gone yeah that, that, because because you know don't waste my time this client, I'm not here Absolutely. to explain my ent- so in a way there's a bit of a paradox there the clients want you to understand them but on the other hand they don't want to spend two hours educating you on their business Absolutely. before they Absolutely. interact with you well, the, 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 the great thing about what we talked about so far is that because the motivation starts to come for the, from the client, because you built a reputation for sharing valuable stuff with them, because you have approached this whole thing, you know, this whole aspect of selling in a, a client-focused uh, principled way, they actually want to spend some time with you. Right. So imagine that Every meeting that you should ever go to from now on is only the type of meeting where the CEO, the financial director, whoever you made a, 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 an appointment with is looking forward to meeting with you. Now, it may seem uh, like a dream, but that's the only sort of meeting 
that, that I want to go to. I don't want to have to have an adver- adversarial meeting. I want to go to a meeting where jackets are off, the coffees are out, if I'm lucky the biscuits are on the table, <laughs> and now the client is saying, I'm really interested in what you've been saying on uh, Twitter. I'm really interested in your, your book. I'm really interested in, in, in what you said in that article. I really like that piece that I saw in Legal Week or whatever. So they're, they're, they're ready to go to the next step, and I call it earning the right. Mm. So you actually earn the right for uh, you to ask questions. So, so, so if, if a, for example, I think a very clear example would be the, if we just think of the telephone, for example, if, if a client has called you because they've seen some of your, your, you know, your blog, your book, your whatever it is you do, if a client calls you and said, um, can we chat about X, Y, and Z, then it's the most natural thing in the world for you to start asking them questions about what well, can you tell me, you know, specifically, um, you know, what, what are the, you know, the challenges you're facing in this area, etc. But if you've called a client. And yep. you've desperately knocked on their door to try and get in there. You get in their diary, and then you come in and say, "Well, tell me about your business." Is that like, well? No, no, you called me. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the most profound things I heard uh, in recent times was when I was speaking at a procurement conference, and a procurement guy from the public sector got up and he said to the audience, "I know you're all trying these days to understand us, and you you have these questioning techniques of open questions, closed questions, leading questions, and it's all about getting to know us. Well, I have news for you. We choose who we allow to understand us. Mm. You think about that. It's just really profound. Buyers, potential clients, they're choosing which professional they allow to understand them. And this is why the congruency in the whole marketing and, and sales approach is so important. Because if we've done the right thing and we've motivated them to make an inquiry, or we've done the right thing and we've motivated them to, to want to have a coffee uh, uh, with us, then they are now prepared to share more information with you than if they think that you're on your own agenda all the time. So they've got, a, they've, they've got to come into the room wanting, you know, on your side. If Absolutely. If they don't come into your, the room on your side, it's a, it's, it's a fencing match. <laughs> and, uh, 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 absolutely. And, and then, of course, you apply some structure to a, to, to, to a meeting um, and avoid what I call the professional pounce. Those of us that have got experience um, and have been around a while, we, we almost can't wait for an opportunity to share that experience. <laughs> So, so what we do is spend 40 minutes of a 60-minute meeting telling them of all the great things that we do, all the great things that we are, in the hope that amongst that sort of stuff that they will think, that's interesting, aren't you fantastic? But today, uh, just like we can use technology to share our knowledge, our content, and give things away free and build relationships – Buyers and clients use it to research, so they know most of the stuff that, that, that is done in that 30, 40 minutes. They know how many offices you've got. They know how many partners you've got. They know what you do because they Google you, they LinkedIn you, they ask a few people on Twitter about you. They know that stuff. So what they're looking for is some sort of structure to the meeting. And because you've earned the right, you're allowed to lead the meeting with a light touch so you start by positioning yourself you know a couple of minutes worth we've all heard of the the elevator statement Mm. um 
and, and it's just a couple of minutes about the, the, the who, what, where, and, and and why. Bulk of the meeting uh, is about understanding the, the, the client, but also adding value. It's a conversation, Ian. It, it, it's not an interrogation. Mm. Um, it's like a conversation. People differentiate between the conversation between an existing client and a new client. And it's totally natural to have a conversation, ask questions of an existing client, because the client um, relationship is such that the, the trust has already been built. Well, if you approach it this way with a new client, trust has been built as well. Mm. So, the, so the client will share uh, it, quite often very deep, insightful things about their critical success factors, their horizon issues, their personal uh, issues, whether the CEO and the financial director are getting along or not, because they trust you with that information, because they know that by having that information, you can advise them better. But if you come from it from a, I need this information so I can sell you something, rather than I need this information so that I can help you, then they won't share it so willingly. So there's kind of two steps there. The first step is before the meeting, or you, you've got to enter the meeting with them already kind of liking you, certainly knowing that you've got value to add because yep. you've already delivered that to them. So yep. they're not adversarial when you come in. And then you've got to continue to build that trust in the meeting by being very focused on helping them yep. rather than you know on, on rather than on selling to them. And that that's more likely to make them open up. So there's a little paradox there of uh, it, it, you, you, if you if you're focused on getting them to open up because you want to because you want to use it, they won't. Whereas if you relax a bit and focus on just what, how you, how you can help them, then Absolutely. they will. In fact, if you have as a as a personal aim that by the end of this meeting it will have been successful, if I have a better relationship rather than by the end of this meeting it will be successful if I come out with some work mm. or an order or an instruction. It changes the dynamics of the meeting. In fact, you are more likely to come out with work. You are more likely to come out with a better relationship or the right outcome if you have this approach because the client isn't defensive mm. and you're not using any pressure. So it becomes like a normal business conversation where they recognize that you've already got a, a, a trusted reputation when you go in there. You're continuing to build that trusted reputation during the meeting. You are asking questions, but they're insightful questions about their business rather than those questions which we all know when, we can, when we're thinking, I know where this is going. In any moment, they're going to tell me, well, we've got the answer for that. Mm. Which is why I never advocate ever, ever, ever asking anyone what keeps them awake at night or what their pain um, is, because they know what you're trying to do is really zero into what you want to sell rather than what you're trying to understand. Mm. So, what in that in that kind of situation, what would be your what would be your approach in a in a sales meeting? So, you said that the the, the first step is the the kind of philosophy of. of of figuring out how you can help them what what would you do would you think about you know what what information do i need to know in order to best help this person before you go in and structure it around that how, how would you you know because obviously what you don't want to do is just uh, wander into a meeting and not know what not know what to ask but i think as you're saying you probably don't have a fixed set of questions that you ask in every meeting 
because it depends on the individual. So wh- how do you do it? How do you how do you prepare and set an agenda for a, for a discussion like that? If it's a very specific technical issue, you're likely to go in with an agenda. That's what that's what the client would expect, and that's what your uh, you would expect. If you're trying to understand the client's business to build a long-term relationship, then to go in with an agenda is highly assumptive. So I have a saying that uh, you know, when you're in the process of, of asking questions, the question follows the answer as much as the answer follows the question. So you only know the questions you're going to ask based on the answers that you receive from the the client. And when they trust you, they start sharing information with you that that is the right information. When we go into a meeting, people don't, you know, they they they, they may have an icebreaker and talk about their holiday, but they know you're there to talk about business. Mm-hmm. So the agenda is a business agenda. They also actually know that you would like to win their business, and when they share information with you, you build trust and you encourage them to share more information with you, which will ultimately help you find the right solution for them by asking a question, listening to the answer, and then forming a question based on the answer rather than a predetermined question that you want the answer to. But, but kind of leading you longer to... You will actually come up with the answers that you want, but you will get a, a fuller um a more insightful answer from the client if you actually really do something that the that, that, that clients complain a lot about is that professionals don't really listen. Yeah. They're, they're waiting. If you go in with an agenda, if you go in with pre-prepared questions, being a human being, um, what we will all tend to do is stop listening the moment that we lose a little bit of interest in the answer because we're thinking of the next question. How do I get my next question in? which will lead us to where we want to be rather than having a little bit of patience and having faith because it, it, it does happen. And I've been doing this with, with both both myself and with clients for the last 12, 15 years. I really know that it works and makes a, a, a dramatic difference to the relationship is they will give you the answers that will help you to help them. You go in with pre-prepared uh, questions uh, in building a relationship, then the risk is that you won't actually listen to the gems that they will give you that will actually tell you how best to propose uh, a way forward. So it sounds like we've got two different sorts of meetings. The one meeting, perhaps most people are a bit more people are a bit more familiar with and maybe not comfortable with, but it's the one where there's a there's a specific problem the clients come to you with. And they're saying, you know, um, I have this, you know, the I need a new so-and-so system, or uh, you know, I've got someone, I'm in court next week, etc. And yep. so your questions are all about understanding what their specific problem, or challenge, or goal is, project, and and yep. then talk about whether you'd be able to help them with that. And I think a lot of people are quite comfortable with that side. The yep. sort of other meeting that you're talking about, more relationship-building meeting, I think is a very common sort of meeting. But I think people people definitely struggle with that more and so can I do you mind if I ask you a couple more questions on that particular meeting so the first one is getting into that meeting and what I mean by that is you know again it's pretty obvious if someone calls you up and says you know I'm in court next week I need to talk about blah 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 Or, or, or Ian you're a fantastic marketing expert I've checked you out on on LinkedIn I love your profile I've 
interacted with a few people on Twitter. They say, you're the person to go to. I've got this campaign that I want to start. Can you start doing something with me a week on Friday? Yeah, so there's a there's a specific thing to talk about. But the, the meeting... The meeting that's more about building a relationship. So, so let's say there's there are people, and I, I I find this kind of two situations here. One is, let's say there's someone you would like to work with, and you know you're adding value, etc. But um, I guess, I guess uh, we talked about it earlier. If it's specific people, you might be sending them a white paper or something like that, and you're mm-hmm. essentially trying to get a trying to get a meeting with them. So the, mm-hmm. I've got, actually got a double-barreled question. So good, I'm going to say both barrels, and, and then maybe you could pick which ones you want to answer um, the second thing is I think they're often in between meetings I quite often myself and I know my clients have this clients talk to you about a kind of problem or a goal they have a, a, you know a challenge but it's not it's not an immediate one so I was talking I was actually talking to a client um, recently about a training program they wanted to run in a certain area but it wasn't that we were starting in two weeks it was still it was a combination of yes we have this program we're thinking of and because of that we'd like to speak to you but it was an also an exploratory meeting you know are you a good sort of person to be working with longer term um so first question is um um outside of clients calling you and say and saying hey i'd like to you know i'm thinking you look look like you know a lot of stuff in this area can we talk because i a lot of you know again my finding is the clients being busy these days aren't necessarily reaching out to have exploratory meetings, early exploratory meetings with people, mm-hmm. um, because they, they they view that as being too long-term and, and too early. So how do you get that kind of relationship-building meeting with someone? Uh, I, 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 just clarify, I'm asking you the question about how do you get the meeting in the first yes, place? Yes, yes. Or what do you do when you go to... How do, no, you, get how, the, how do you get a meeting in the first well, place? The, 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 the exploratory uh, uh, meeting, to start building a relationship is that uh, because people are busy, they will only give their time to people that they genuinely feel will add some value. It's it's why lots of people don't go to lunches anymore. They they haven't got time to go to lunches. They will only give time to people they think that will forward their own business. Now, I come back then to what we've already talked about in terms of the things that you share with people that gives you or builds your reputation for adding value. So we're back to marketing content. We're back to the things that you give that will get that person that you want to meet, that potential dream client, to do exactly what happened to me. In fact, I'm thinking about that now two days ago. Um, There's a particular large firm that I keep in touch with. I've never done any business with them. Magic Circle Law Firm. And um, I know that I have a a Twitter relationship with um, a a very senior business development individual there. Uh, They then linked to me on on LinkedIn. And because they did that, I started um, sharing some information with them. I did a couple of invitations to things that uh, I thought they might be of interest. Just really slowly... um, a building, if you like, um, uh, a, a, an internet or social media relationship with them. Um, and just two days ago, actually, via LinkedIn, from that individual, I just got a message saying, David, do you fancy a coffee sometime? Now, 
I don't think that if I'd made a phone call or made a direct approach to the head of business development of a Magic Circle law firm, I stood any chance whatsoever of getting an appointment with them. But because they saw something of what I do, they saw uh, something of the information that I share, they found something useful, they came to me thinking, well, it's worthwhile me spending half an hour or an hour with David to have that coffee with him. And that's the decision that people are making when they're investing in future relationships. They're saying, have I got any evidence that Ian or David or whoever um, can one add value in the maybe in the meeting that, that I'm having with them and potentially add value to the interests of this business at some time in the future. So that, that goes nice that goes nicely back to what we were just saying before about having a, a range of approaches you can use. Absolutely. So there was the there's the sharing of content, but there's also on the relationship side the really baby steps of, of connecting with them on social media, chatting a little bit. So you're not phoning them up, you're not you're not emailing them directly yet, but you're beginning to interact with them a bit, and then the relationship grows a bit. Absolutely. And, and I like the I like the idea you said you invited them to a couple of things you were doing, etc. Which I think is a what struck me as you said it. It's a bit like um, let's say we're playing a game of football or soccer for uh, for American uh, audiences. Um, you've got to you know you you've got to kind of get the ball into the danger zone. You've got to give yourself the chance to score. If you're continually passing the ball <laughs> back along your defensive line you're never going to score you've got to give yourself chances you've got to get the ball into the box you've got to get the ball to dangerous players and you're doing that in a variety of ways now any individual one of them you're not going to score from necessarily so Absolutely. you so you i think in that case you'd invited them to a couple of things you were doing they hadn't hadn't necessarily come along you'd 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 chatted with them on on social media and they had interacted a little bit and so th those those kind of you know setting yourself up so you've got chances to build the relationship eventually one of them is going to work and they're going Absolutely. to and of course it's dependent on the timing for them as well you know you might Absolutely. invite them to three things but the timing may be wrong so just keep putting yourself in the right place where something can come off um, and little steps at a time so rather than trying Absolutely. to go for the you know it seems quicker to go for let's just call them and try and get a meeting with cold calling the truth is it takes little steps by the it's, it's, increasing it's, trust it's, at every point it's little steps and from experience, we all know that that cold call to uh, a dream client gets put off. Yeah, well, yeah. I won't do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. Well, actually, I'm not in right mood tomorrow. I'll do it the next day. And you get to Friday, it's I'll do that next week. Yeah, and that's, and that's procrastination for a good reason because it, <laughs> it's your it's your it's your brain and your heart telling you this is this is the wrong it thing to do. Work. Yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't work. But but during that same five days, uh, for a very small investment in time um, but you know with, with, whether you're working on your own or, or as part of a team for a very small uh, uh, investment of time you could have had several interactions that your the target individual the target audience um, will have seen during the week uh, so that uh, e even if you are then going to make a, a direct approach maybe by email maybe you've encouraged them to sign up for your newsletter mm. there will be something in there that uh, is timely and I think it's very important to acknowledge something you mentioned a few moments ago that sometimes it's not the right time and, and I've always been convinced that the timing of a purchase is always down to the, the buyer or the client 
and I want to be there when the client is ready to buy. Mm. I want to be the top of mind. I want to have earned the right to be invited to make a proposal. I want to have earned the right for the coffee at the right time. The more I use pressure, the less likely I am to have earned the right to be a part of the inner circle, if you like. Mm. It sounds like you would be willing, for example, to, if, if it, the timing feels right and you've had previous interactions, to actually, you know, pop the question, do you want to fancy going for a coffee? But, Definitely. So, so, but that, that's dependent on it feeling right because you've had these previous interactions where you've added value and you're yes. confident that they, they think of you in that kind of, um, someone they trust and someone who could add value to them, but also that you, you're giving yourself the chance for them to say yes as well um, and, and invite you. I've always believed in making it easy for people to buy, and the, the the more you more you are struggling, the more that you're trying to do something to to a client to push them in your direction, the more they put up barriers. Mm. So it, it it actually is a very successful way of uh, going to a meeting or having a coffee with someone who, and we're both basically saying is, look, this is going to be interesting. I don't know quite where it's going yet, but when the time is right, certainly I'll be talking to you. Mm. So when, so when then the second part of the question is when you are in that meeting, I think you said before you do, you don't come with a pre-prescribed list of questions that you know structured around driving to what their big problem is, so that you can then propose a solution because that's for the you know the topic-focused one that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you uh, that we looked at earlier, and, and that's not, in fact, that even that's not as, as structured because you you don't know until they tell you what the topic is, <laughs> where, where to go. But if it's that more open early, what are the sort of questions? What what would you be saying in that that early relationship building meeting? You, I guess you can group the, uh, the, the 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 types of questions that you ask into um, uh, what what's got them to where they are today what is today about and what's the future about right so if you group your questions in that way and then show genuine interest and i and i really do mean genuine interest because people know if you're just asking a question in order to sell something mm-hmm. so some the, the very best sellers the best rainmakers have just got a passionate interest in people so show genuine interest Ask questions about the past, the present, and the future, and not be afraid to ask some of those commercial questions that are away from law or away from accountancy or away from a specific uh, question, like how they make decisions in their organization, who's involved in the decision-making process, what are their motivators for um, uh, meeting with you specifically now, what sort of budget have they got, what sort of time, you know the the actual things that a lot of people don't ask questions about because they're commercial questions. Yeah, a little bit embarrassed to ask. Yeah, uh, you know uh, 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 ultimately uh, I was doing some work recently with someone who said they're having coffee with people all the time but never getting any business. And what we discovered of course is they're having coffee with the wrong people completely. Um, they weren't dream clients, they weren't potential clients and they they, they they weren't influencers or decision makers mm. but they were easy to have coffees with mm. so first of all make sure you're having coffee with the right people and then when you're having coffee with them uh, ask questions about them show interest in them and they will tell you if you have if you have earned the right they will tell you how you can help them 
you know, we've all heard of the iceberg principle. We know that above the iceberg is what people share um, publicly to the public domain, and under the iceberg is the stuff that they, they keep to themselves unless they trust you. But when they trust you, they share that under the iceberg stuff that they would never have told anyone, and suddenly the opportunities flow from there. And even if if you get very good at asking questions, they suddenly discover that there are opportunities they hadn't thought of. Mm. One of the very best things that a client can ever say is, well, that was an interesting question. Mm. I don't know the answer to that, but I should. And yeah. so, so when you get to this point where opportunities are beginning to surface, how do you, how do you go from there without suddenly switching personas to the um, the shark-toothed salesperson Absolutely. grabbing onto it. Oh, right, well, we can help with that. Boom. Yeah. Which we're, we're professional pounce. Yeah. Avoid the professional pounce. I, I used to work with, with, with a colleague years ago who who um, had a very descriptive way of, of dealing with that. Um, and, and he said, you have to bite your tongue until you can imagine the blood dripping down the side of your mouth. You, know? you, <laughs> you, 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 you have got to avoid... Uh, pouncing at the wrong time because you don't have the full picture and it's just like a salesperson getting their brochure out saying well we do this or, or, or we do that you've got to make sure that you get the full picture and then when you have the full picture check with the client that but, but by doing you know one, one of those great um, sales techniques that I was uh, taught years ago it's a communication technique really not not a sales technique is summarize what has been said check for accuracy and now is the time to start feeding back and that's a final part of a, a, of this sort of meeting if you if you like because it's been a conversation you can add value throughout it's not an interrogation and you can discuss uh, your experiences but you're not suggesting yet a way forward when you've got that full picture you've summarized what has been said now is the time to reflect and think about under uh, uh, under these circumstances, what's the best way forward? And again, because you've earned the right, because you've built trust, actually the client will look to you to make a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Now we've probably all heard of uh, closing or always being be, be closing. You don't have to learn closing at all. It becomes the most natural thing in the world to get to a, the, the part of a meeting where everyone is thinking, so what's next? Mm. And it's your job, based on the information that you've collected, by uh, using your experience and your knowledge to suggest the right way forward for this client. And that might be suggesting that they meet some of, some more of your co colleagues. It might be you meet some of their colleagues. It might mean you do a presentation. It might mean that you do a proposal. It's about suggesting the right next step forward. It might be, well, why don't we start a coaching session next Friday? Or of course, it might be something absolutely nothing to do with you as well. That, that uh, you know, when they've gone through it, it might be that you are not the right answer for them. Well, you know, it's a very important point because part of being authentic is, and part of the principle selling approach, is to, to have the belief that if you cannot fulfill the requirements of this client if you're not the best person to point them in the best direction for them to find the right solution now that might seem a little bit of uh, bum advice because you know I'm turning down work but if you turn down work that you really can't deliver 
And we're back to congruency here. If you make a promise, you must be able to deliver on the promise. Uh, it's not about under-delivering, certainly. It's not even about over-delivering. It's about delivering on the promises that you make. If you, in your heart, know that you are not the best person to deliver on that promise, then you've got to be prepared to walk away. The great thing about that is sometimes it surprises the client so much that they thank you and then say, what about this? Or what about that? Could you help us with this? Because you have built so much, so much trust because you are willing to walk away from things that you can't do. It sounds like taking a leap of faith, but it genuinely works. Excellent, excellent. David, we've covered an awful lot of stuff. We have. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Be much appreciated. Um, one final ju just question. If people want to find out more about you and the principled selling approach, what should they do? Where should they go? Probably the best thing to do is check out my blog where I share um, um, more information uh, freely, of course, about uh, what it is we've been talking about, and that is at www.principleselling.org. So that's principleselling.org. Excellent. And so thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> Thank you.